So, you may have seen our podcast with Paul Stansby. What an amazing guy. Brilliant story. His YouTube channel is getting the recognition it deserves. He is campaigning against knife crime and violence and gangs. He's on an absolute mission. If you watch the podcast, you know his own brother suffered and died at the hands of a London County Lines gang. And his his you know struggle for justice and what he had to go through in the court system and there are some parallels on the story today with charlotte now charlotte has been on paul stansby's channel i couldn't stop watching it i was so gripped i was so moved because it just really gives the other side of the story you know you hear about knife crime it's like a statistic in london you hear about the gangs and the drug gangs and personally all my research has led me to believe this is a function of government policy and a lot of this violence and crime wouldn't be happening if changes were made but looking at it from the other side then of a mum now some of you heard you know what my mum went through when I was incarcerated and, and, and heard how you know she suffered anxiety and depression and all that kind of thing but imagine losing your young son the heartbreak the trauma the PTSD and Charlotte's bravery now, she's such an excellent speaker, she's on this mission and it is it's so moving and you, you're going to go on this journey with us shortly and it's just a real privilege and an honour for Charlotte to come down and, and sit with us today and to tell us her story. So huge thank you for yes, coming on Charlotte. thank you. Yeah. Welcome. Got yeah. a funny feeling this is going to be a really emotional podcast today. Yeah, probably for all of us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let's um, just go back then. Just tell us a little bit about your background before we bring Reese into the picture. Like, whereabouts you're from in the country? And okay, um, I'm from Rugby Warwickshire. Um, you know, just a normal girl. Went to high school. I didn't go to college or university. Um, I fell pregnant with Reese when I was very young. I was only 16 when I fell pregnant and I had him when I was 17. So that sort of chapter of my life, I kind of missed out on all the college and university sort of side of things. How did you and your husband meet? Um, so we just met, um, I think I was just walking down a street and he was in a car and he popped his head out the window and sort of said, do you want to lift? And I got in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous danger. Yeah. Um, back then we sort of, you know, we didn't really think twice about doing stuff like that. And, it's a bit more uh, innocent, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I jumped in the car and the rest is history really. Um, we got together, we had Reese, um, then we got married when Reese was about 18 months old. Um, and then we had another two children together, Josh and Georgia. Um, so we're just a normal family you know I was a stay-at-home mum for a while until Georgia was a little bit older um and I like to think that I was a good mum you know I gave them everything that they wanted and didn't spoil them but they never wanted for anything um uh, when Georgia was about two I then started working and I decided I wanted a career it was my turn then to have a career um so I started working in a petrol station <laughs> just to get my foot in the door really and got a bit of um retail experience then I started working in mobile phone shops and I I really enjoyed that um 
and then I ended up as a manager of a mobile phone shop and then I went into um, uh, sales um, on the road. So got a company car and then I thought, right, I've made the big time now. I've got a company car and I was up and down the motorway. And um, yeah, from being a, a young mum, I really thought that I'd, you know, kind of made something of myself considering and the statistics of you know young mums um, I was trying to not be the norm you know um so yeah that that was really growing up you know the the kids went to school they went to a childminder you know they just had a normal upbringing um in a quiet town so what, what was the atmosphere in the house like as they were growing up was the sibling rivalry what was you know, I had a sister I had sibling rivalry uh, and stuff like well, that so the I'd say the boys looked after their younger sister. Um, she she sometimes got a little bit bullied. They gang up on her, um, but that's probably made her into the feisty person that she is today. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that they really got on well. You know, they all stuck up for each other. They'd do stuff together, go out and play together. Um, so yeah, it was. They just had. You know, there wasn't. Um, it wasn't rough where we lived or anything like that. You know, I could let them out and um, not have to worry really back then. Um, they'd go out to play, come home when the dinner's ready. <laughs> and what was your relationship like with your husband? Um, yeah, well, I mean, he's an ex now for a reason. So it wasn't all plain sailing. Um, at the time, I mean, I was very young and f- fell madly in love. And um, as I got older... I think I realised that he wasn't right for me. Um, And as I got older, I kind of grew out of love with him as I grew. (laughs) Um, And when I was about 30, it was sort of got to the end of the road. So, I mean, I gave it a good go and um, I decided it was it was time for us to to part and um Reese was about 13 when that happened um we'd actually split up about six months before that I'd moved into a flat with the kids and um my ex-husband had moved into a bed sit and we kind of we separated and then we decided to give it another go that lasted two months we actually moved to a nearby town Daventry um just to try a fresh start and just see if that helped um but it didn't it was just the same and I think it was just we were just sort of clinging on to the hope that we'd be able to make it work and we couldn't and it wasn't fair on the kids so um we parted ways um which was a shame really because the kids had just made uh, you know just started new schools and made new friends and it was a new area but um but yeah that was so the kids uh, staying with you then and going back and forth visiting him and no so what what we decided to do um I asked the boys I decided I was moving up to Yorkshire I'd actually met somebody new um I was moving up to Yorkshire and I spoke to the boys and I said you know I'm moving you're gonna come with me aren't you and we're like mum we've just moved here I've made new friends I don't really want to go and have to do all that all over again you know I've only been here two months um so I decided at that point to let the boy stay with the dad um I didn't have any concerns he was a good dad you know and I knew that he'd do the best for them um 
And then uh, my daughter, Georgia, decided she was going to come with me, but I wouldn't have let her stay anyway. She was only nine, you know, um, and she needed to be with her mum. So um, not that she wanted to to stay with them anyway. But um, so, yeah, she came with me. The boys stay with their dad and they came up for weekends, holidays, not every weekend, but a lot of weekends um, or I'd go down there and visit. Um, and yeah, they'd come and stay school holidays for like a week, two weeks, sometimes more if it was a six weeks holiday. Was that not hard being apart from them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I said to them, you know, at any point, the door is always open. You come and live with me whenever you want to. If you, you know, have a falling out with your dad, you know where I am. Um, and they were happy. They were happy there in Daventry, you know, with their dad, um, and he did everything for them, took them fishing, took them to the skate park when they wanted to go out on their bike and scooter. And it was a good good dad to them. So I didn't have any concerns from that. You know, I wasn't, I didn't think, oh, you know, I want them to come live with me because I'm worried about their welfare or anything like that. They lived in a nice, quiet town with the dad and they were happy. And that's all what mattered to me. I didn't want them to come and live with me and resent me because I thought that's what they would do if I made the move with me. So what was Reese's social life like then? Did he have a girlfriend and how was he doing? Um, when I moved out, he did have a girlfriend at the time. But to be fair, Reese was really, really popular at school. <laughs> and he always, <laughs> he always, I couldn't keep up with his girlfriends. He always <laughs> had different girlfriends. Um, he was the kind of lad that everybody knew and everybody loved. He used to, um, uh, for example, he wanted, he started breakdancing. That was one of his oh. hobbies. Um, he loved breakdancing. He, um, auditioned to go on Britain's Got Talent with the Combat Breakers. Wow. Um, wow. yeah, they didn't get through, <laughs> but, but they did, he, you know, he auditioned and that's his, and that he was proud of that. When you found out about that, well, how did that make you feel that he'd gone that far? Yeah, really proud. I mean, I went to watch the audition. Well, I wasn't allowed in to watch the audition, but I went with, you know, I was in the waiting room and, um, yeah, I was really proud of him. I mean, he was 13 years old and he wanted, he, he was very ambitious like me. He always wanted to better himself or be well known or be famous or, or something like that. Um, and then he moved on and then he, he liked fishing then. Um, and he was really good and he was always there, always, always fishing, you know, cooking his bacon sandwiches on the, you know, side of the river and, um, yeah, it was just something that he was really, really... It was one of these kids that no matter what he did, he was always brilliant at it. And then he moved on to BMX and he loved his bike um, and he started doing all these tricks, started going, you know, spending all his, his time there every spare minute. Um, and I think it was his aim to be better than everybody else because I know if I was him, that's what I would have been like, so... Was he putting content online, doing tricks and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, there's loads and loads. If you put Reese Ottaway into YouTube, there's absolutely oh, loads of oh, wow. yeah, videos of him doing, you know. As a mum, it used to make me cringe because at the beginning of the videos, he'd always put the outtakes of the 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 stunts that have gone wrong. Oh, and, you know, how he landed on his back like that and not hurt himself or or ended up in hospital. You know, some of the things I'm like, oh, my God, I can't watch this. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, he was just so good at it. So I was so proud of him. He ended up getting sponsored um, as well. And I think if he would have carried on doing it, he would have ended up being professional. So you were aware of all of his activities while you were living apart, what he was up to? 
Um, I would say 90%. Um, he would tell me what he wanted me to know. Um, and one thing you used to annoy me about his dad is that if Reese didn't want me to know something, he would make sure his dad didn't tell me. Um, so he kind of had him on side like that. Um, and that used to annoy me because I used to have to rely on maybe Josh telling me or me finding out from somebody else, you know, who lived in the same town or something like that. So that was quite annoying. What, when did he start getting into weed? I imagine that he hid it from you in the beginning, but you're probably aware more now of what he was. Yeah. I mean, from what I've been told, he probably started smoking weed at about 15. Um, when he was at the skate park, it was just something that all his friends did. They all did it together. Um, and I wasn't happy about that. Um, but I thought that he would maybe just stop, grow out of it. You know, as a, as a child, you know, a teenager myself, I tried weed, you know, mm. I think a lot of people <laughs> have done it, you know, if they were honest with themselves, they've done, and I thought he would be the same as me and just, you know, think, oh, there's better things to life than this. And how, how do you know he was doing it? Um, I can't even remember who told me. I think he might have even told me himself. Um, or I might have smelt it on him, actually. I was going to say. Yeah, I think I smelt it on him. Um, and that's how I found out, yeah. So you didn't, at that point, have a conversation with him. You just thought, um, thought he was just going through a thing that he would drop. I boys did. Boys. I did mention it to him, you know, and said, you know, how are you going to afford this? Um, you know, you're not, <laughs> you're not going to really be able to sustain smoking weed you know where are you going to get your money from you haven't got a job or anything like that um but he was the kind of lad that if you told them not to do something they would make sure that they did it mm. so I was you know making sure that I didn't push him too hard because he would just go the opposite way of course what were the first signs that it was becoming problematic um see I didn't know about anything really that was happening until I I would say about 2015 um I was told that Reese owed I I got a phone call off his dad saying that Reese owed some money um to a dealer and at the, at that point I had my own business and he asked me if I would be willing to pay the dealer to get Reese out of the trouble. Um, I was in the position to pay it. So I said, okay, I'll pay. But in return, I would like Reese to come and live with me. Um, I want him to stop what he's doing and he can pay me back. You know, when he's working for me, he can pay me back. Um, so we agreed to do that. At this point, um, Georgia decided she wanted to live with her dad. <laughs> so we kind of did a swap. Georgia <laughs> went to live with her dad for a while. Um, and Reese moved into Georgia's room. So they kind of just completely swapped. Um, and uh, yeah, and it was all working great for a while. Reese was coming into work every day. I even worked it so that he only had to work in the morning so he could still go to the skate park in the afternoon. Um, and he was, he was earning a good wage. And for me, it was a family business. And I thought that maybe he could take over one day or, you know, and, um, 
you know, just start at the bottom and work his way up. And um, what was the business? Um, we had a manufacturing company, so we made a baby baby product called Poddle Pod. What? Yeah, <laughs> it was um, a baby snuggle nest that was designed around my youngest son, Deacon. Um, and it had a hammock in the middle. And when you place the baby in, the sides pulled in and it made them feel like they were being cradled in your arms. Oh, how sweet. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we used to fill. We used to have a big filling machine. We used to put all the um, the fibre into the it was essentially like a pillow um with a hammock in the center and he used to um put all to the all the filling into the center for us using the machine that was his job <laughs> just just going back a bit then you know you said you came up with that uh, solution and it, it, it seemed to be working but when he initially contacted you or you found out about this debt i imagine before you you settled down into that agreement that you, you might have had a reaction like, my son's got this debt, you know, what the bloody hell's going on, kind of. Yeah, I was, I would like to say I was shocked, but I think deep down I really knew that him smoking weed and spending all that time at the skate park and the people he was hanging around with, I don't, I think I knew deep down something like this was going to happen or I, I don't, I don't remember ever think, thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, this is so out of character or anything like that. I I kind of just took it on the chin and and I think I expected it. How much was it? That's what I was just about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was off the top of my head about £650. So it wasn't a major amount. That's, that's quite a lot for weed. Yeah, for the age of him. I think by this time he was about 16 or 17 maybe 18. Um, Were they threatening him with violence? If Not as far as I know. Um, but again, I I was kept out of that sort of thing. I think Reese didn't want to tell me, didn't want to worry me, didn't want to... Um, he knew that I got my own business and I was trying to make something of myself. And I don't think he wanted to bring that kind of life into my life you know he wanted to keep it separate definitely all right so he's with you now then and things seem to be going okay yeah well in the meantime as well i'd had two of the children <laughs> i'd got I'd got married um to my husband lee and we'd had two of the children so we got lily may and deacon so reese's uh youngest younger siblings um and um yeah it was great he was living with us and he's getting on great i've got videos of him playing in the garden with his little brother um he used to go on great with his youngest brother they were like uh two peas in a pod and deacon he looks exactly like reese he acts like reese he is a mini reese really (laughs) is yeah um they used to get on great so yeah, Reese was living with you. Yeah. Yeah. Doing um, all right. Yeah, yeah. It was absolutely fine. He was going out. He was still going out with his friends in the evening. They'd come and pick him up and they'd go off, probably smoke some weed, come back. Um and um I think at one point near the end, he actually had a girlfriend staying over as well. So I knew that he had a girlfriend at the time and he seemed happy. You know, it was really I was really, really shocked the day that he never turned up at work and had left. He hadn't even taken anything. Everything was still in his room. It was really weird. Like he'd gone missing, but 
but I'd been told that he'd moved back to Daventry. He didn't hadn't gone to his dad's, he'd gone to stay at a friend's. So what year was that and how old was he? Um, I think that must have been about 2015 and he was born in 95, so... 20. 20. Yeah. Yeah, it was 20 by then. So did you then uh, make some calls and try and find out where, where the hell he's gone? Yeah, so I think I called his dad. I think that was my first my first stop. Um, and I think he didn't know to begin with and made some calls probably spoke to Reese because Reese wasn't answering his phone to me um, because he wouldn't want to uh, he wouldn't want to tell me what's happening so he I, I think he told his dad and then his dad rang me back and said oh he's staying at Taylor's his friend he's staying at Taylor's for a while um, and I thought okay uh, and then when I did finally speak to Reese he said that he was missing his friends missing his ta- you know the town he lived in and he just wanted to be back there and how did that make you feel? Um, I was upset, uh, mainly because I enjoyed having him living with us. Um, I I loved having that family life with him there. Um, and I was worried that he was going to then start dealing again, um, being back in Daventry and having all those people around him again. It was a real worry. Wow. And is that what happened? That is what happened. Um, so he was living on his mate's sofa. Um, he then, I think he put his name down on the council or his dad helped him put his name down on the council. don't think he wanted to go back and live with his dad at that point. Um, and he got a brand new council flat. Yeah, brand new. It was lovely. Really, really nice. I was, you know, so happy for him. Um, at that point, I had a van for the business. So... Um, he needed a cooker, went and picked a cooker up for him, bought it for him, took it over. Um, everybody pitched in with little bits of furniture for him because it was his first place of his own. And it was really, really nice flat. I was so pleased for him. What did you think he did for work at this time? Um, at that point, I believe he, well, he told me he was um, doing uh, training to be a paint sprayer on cars. And I think he was doing that on and off. Um, but I believe that company closed down and then he didn't have any work after that. Um, I know that he was still smoking weed because you can smell it and you could, I could smell it on him straight away. Um, but he was really heavily into still riding his BMX. He spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think he was just doing some bits and bobs, jobs for people, anything he could to earn a bit of money. Um, he didn't want to work with me, that was for sure. Um, and yeah, he was living in the flat. I, I was really happy for him. And then I found out after it had happened, probably two or three weeks after it had happened, that he'd been raided there. So then I found out he was dealing again. How did you find out? Um... I think, again, it might have been his dad. I never find out at the time when these incidents happen. It's normally afterwards. Um, I'm normally quite... Uh, I'm a bit like a a bulldog, you know, like a, if if when I'm told, I kind of sort of like just fly off the deep end and I sort of like, you know, barking, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so I think they put off telling me these things so that I don't uh, lose my head. And um, 
yeah, I found out that he'd been raided. Uh, he'd left that flat. And then he was living in a flat in Whedon, which is between Northampton and Daventry. He was, he'd got a flat there. This wasn't a council flat. It was just a privately rented flat. So I was relieved that he was living there and he had a roof over his head. Um, I was obviously upset that he'd been raided. That was twice. Um, and um, I'd gone over to visit him a few times at that flat, but, you know, it smelled of weed and I'm not really keen on the smell and, and things like that. So I didn't really go off, you know, I never took the younger children over to visit him. I'd just wait for him to come and see us. And, and, um, and yeah, he had a girlfriend, a long-term girlfriend then, and he used to spend a lot of time with her and they go on holidays and he seemed to be having a good life and he seemed happy. And she was a really nice girl as well. You know, she had a good job and I thought, right, maybe this might sort him out. Mm. So I wasn't as worried about him at that time. How did you think he was funding that lifestyle? Um, I thought maybe that his girlfriend was, you know, putting money towards it. Um, I also thought that um, at the time he told me that he started buying and selling cars. So he was buying them cheaper and then selling them on and things like that. He'd always have something for sale, like a TV or an Xbox. And I thought that he was kind of like buying things cheap and then selling them on, a bit of a wheeler dealer. And that would make sense because, like I say, he's quite ambitious and likes to make money. And and um, I thought that between him and his girlfriend, I thought that's how they were sort of making their money um I thought that him moving to Whedon again fresh start I thought he'd sorted himself out um, I knew he was still smoking weed because like I said I could smell it on him mm. um and his girlfriend smoked weed as well so um but yeah and then I found out again after the incident that he'd gone to court and this was to do with drugs I don't know if they, they were found on him or or something like that. Again, I was kept in the dark. Um, and then he had to go on a, he had to be like clean. He didn't, you know, know to have a test within so long and he had to be out of his bloodstream. Um, so he stopped smoking weed for a while and it was great. Um, but then when he'd gone back to court and he got all the old, all clear, he then started smoking weed again. So it was back to square one. Um, then I found out that he'd gone to court again. I think um, it was something to do with uh, an altercation in a nightclub. Um, somebody had grabbed his girlfriend or, or something like that and he'd gone to protect her and there was a an altercation. Um, and he'd gone to court and he'd been given community service. Again, I found out this way after it had happened. Um in fact, I think I found out after he'd not gone to his community service and then he was wanted by the police. Oops. Yes. Um, and I found that out because he had to leave his flat in, in Whedon and he had nowhere to live. So he started sofa surfing or booking hotels just for the night or two nights and then moving to a different hotel, just cheap cheap rooms you know just moved around was his girlfriend still with him at this point um i think they'd just split up i think they'd just split up at this point um and i don't know if that's what made him go off the rails again or because it seemed to all sort of happen around that time that 
he'd not gone to his community service so um that'd probably fit in quite well although like everything else I don't really know the truth about his reasons for for doing stuff um but yeah he he started sofa surfing moving around um and then one day I saw on my Facebook news feed it came up with a mugshot of Reese. Oh, no. Yeah, and oh. it said he was wanted for breaking his bail, uh, no, his community service conditions or something like that. And I only saw it as well because one of my friends had shared it, but that friend didn't realise because we have different surnames that Reese was my son. Um, and I just remember thinking, oh Lord, everybody's seen this, all my friends, I had the business, I was worried that, you know, this was going to interfere with that and people would, you know, I was trying to build a life for us all, you know, a really good life and, um, I was worried that people would associate that side. Did anyone contact you? No, luckily. (laughs) Luckily, nobody did, and I think that helped because we had different surnames. You know, nobody really knew that I was Reese's mum. I, you know, he kept me out of things. He didn't really introduce me to people. He didn't, you know, the only people I really met is these very close school school friends and um, his girlfriends, really. Um, other than that, I didn't really, I never went to visit him or anything like that. You know, I, I stayed away. They didn't even know the police did that, so they put people's mugshots on Facebook yeah. and circulate them and say, have you seen this person? Yeah, yeah. Northamptonshire Police. And then the public circulator when they try and catch I've still them. got the picture now. Um, so I text Reese that day saying, are you okay? Are you okay? Um, Nisa said, um, of course I'm okay. You know, don't worry about me, mum. Did he know his mugshot was on Facebook? Yeah, yeah. Um, he actually got, and now I found out that he'd been on he'd been wanted for about two years what yeah it it was about two years or something like that a really long time and he got the nickname Reese Gotaway instead of <laughs> Reese Ottaway um because he'd been wanted for ages and the police hadn't found him for somebody who was so well known in that area um people... and you don't know what he was wanted for no, it was just um, he hadn't gone to his community service or or something like that. It was just something really minor. Um, I have got the 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 um, screenshot of it. I should have a look. I'm sure it says bell uh, community service breaking his community service order or something like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it was just horrible. And I texted him and he said, don't worry about me, mum. And I said, oh, well, of course I'm going to worry about you. You're still my baby boy, no matter how old you are. Um, and that was about a month before he died. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what was the next major sign of trouble? Um, The next major sign of trouble after that, the next sign of trouble would be, um, so in the meantime, Georgia had fallen pregnant. Um, she was due to have a baby in, um, she'd literally just told me actually. And in the January, we were having a gender reveal meal. So we were going to find out if she's having a boy or a girl. And it was the Tuesday night and 
at this point, me and my ex-husband, David, we we were okay, but I didn't want to spend any time with him if I didn't have to. And um at this point of this meal we all had to get together there was no choice I had to sit in the same room as him um I think he felt the same and when we were we went to Harvester (laughs) and when we were there um he sat on his own David did Uh, just sat on his own uh Reese came with his girlfriend his new girlfriend (laughs) and um and everybody was there the whole family and uh, Georgia announced she was having a boy. And Reese didn't stay. He kind of seemed moody. Um, I don't know, like uh, worried about something. I'm not actually sure to this day what was the problem. Um, but he came over to me and said, I'm going, Mum. I'll come over and see you on Thursday. So that was two days' time. And I said, okay, then. And he bent over, gave me a hug, said, love you. I said, love you. And off he went. And at the time, I thought maybe it's he felt sorry for his dad because we were all there as a family. I had my friends and everybody was there. And his dad just sat on his own. And I don't know if he felt sorry for his dad. Um, But then I since found out, this was after he died, that that night he was supposed to... um, get some uh, like a reload they call it um and I only found out this after and he was supposed to and it hadn't happened that night so my uh I can't remember who told me somebody told me that he was supposed to be getting it that night and it hadn't happened so that might have been the reason that he was the way he was just let's clarify that for the audience reload. then he was expecting a shipment of product he could yeah. Weed. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's only hearsay. That's what I was okay. told. Okay. Um, I always assumed it was because of his dad that mm. he felt awkward, that mm. his dad was over there, I was over there. He didn't know who to go to sort of thing. And it put him in a bit of a position. So I didn't know if he, if that was the reason. And I still don't know to this day who's, you know, what the reason is. But um, so, yeah, that was the last time. That was the last time I saw him. Um, on Thursday night, he never turned up. Um, but that wasn't unusual for Reese. He was one of these people who'd say, "Oh, I'll see you on Tuesday," and then you'd see him Thursday, or or you'd see him the next week. You know, he was always really busy. He had loads of friends, and he was always out clubbing or um, raves, or you know, he he was always busy doing something. What was his new girlfriend like? Um. I'd only met her, so he used to come round every Sunday normally. That was the normal day that he'd come round, Sunday evening, and we'd get a takeaway. And she'd probably come round probably four or five times with him. Um, her name was Katie. Um, I didn't really have an opinion on her. She seemed nice enough, and she sort of spoke to, spoke nicely to us and the kids and... You know, she seemed she seemed nice enough, but I know that she smoked weed and and stuff with Reese. Um, at this point, uh, I know that he'd moved to Northampton as well. Um, he'd moved in with um, a lad who had just got a flat. Um, he, the lad, 
didn't have any furniture. He hadn't actually moved in because he didn't know. He was kind of struggling on his own. He didn't have anything. Reese furnished the place, was paying the rent, was making sure that this lad was getting up for appointments like with the job centre or for work or, or whatever he was doing at the time. Um, Reese was a real foodie. He loved concoctions of different <laughs> foods, you know, re- real sort of real he was into bagels and like loaded bagels and and things like that and um he would make sure that this lad was fed and his clothes were washed and you know the basic things to live you know to live he would make sure this lad had been in care and he was really taking care of him yeah yeah and that's what reese did with everybody he always made sure that you know if they didn't have any money he'd lend it them or and i think that's why he was so liked because he was this person people could depend on um everybody loved him at the skate park he'd help little kids you know who were struggling with a scooter or bike he'd teach them stuff and um even to this day you know people I, I went where did I go I went to get some dog food the other day of all things and we were talking about um to the lad who worked there um it was a young lad probably about Reese's age and we just mentioned about Reese and he knew him you know, everybody knew him. We didn't actually know him to speak to, but he says, I know of Reese. Um, and everybody said what a great lad he was. And, you know, I saw him out when we was at clubs and he was always smiling, happy with a bottle of vodka in his hand or, or what have you. You know, he was, he was a nice guy and, and, um, yeah, uh, so he didn't turn up on the Thursday. No, no. I said to my husband, so Reese hasn't turned up again. He said, uh, well, are you surprised? <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, this is like Reese. I said, no, oh, yeah, I suppose. Um, Did you get that mother's instinct? Yeah. Um, there was, I didn't feel right. My husband, he said that night he didn't feel right. There was something wrong. He couldn't sleep. Um, he said, he knew, you know, when you have a gut feeling something bad's going to happen. I mean, he suffers with anxiety anyway, but he couldn't sleep because he felt like something bad was going to happen. Um, and also uh, a few days before that, the Sunday the Sunday before, I had a friend over and we were talking about Reese because um, she was working somewhere and uh, a friend who worked there, um, her son had been murdered. And we were just talking about it casually. She says, oh, you know, this this girl I work with and her son's been mur- her son had been murdered years before. And I just said to her casually, um, that's what worries me about Reese. He's either going to end up dead or in prison. Um, and I said it quite a few times. And then um, went to bed that night. And then about three o'clock in the morning, my phone started ringing which I knew something was definitely wrong because my my phone's on do not disturb. So people have got to phone a few times for it to actually start ringing. Um, and it was my ex-husband. So I immediately just thought, he's been caught. You know, he was wanted. He's been caught. He's been, he's going to prison. That's what he's ringing to tell me. And that's what I was expecting him to say, but he didn't. He, um, 
he was just all flustered uh, and said, uh, Reese, Reese is gone. Reese has passed away. Um, and I was just like, <laughs> I, I was kind of like, this is wrong. They've, they've got the wrong person. This won't be Reese because everybody loves Reese. I didn't know one person who didn't like him. And, um, he said he's gone. He's, he's passed away. And I said, no, they can check his tattoos. I bet you it's not him. He said, it is him. They've checked. He's got your tattoo on there because he had a tattoo what said mum. Um, and, uh, my date of birth. And, uh, I just, it's kind of like a blur, but I just remember just started screaming, no. He's my baby boy. It's not. It's not my baby boy. Um, and then my husband sort of sat up and he said, "What? What?" Um, and he just sort of jumped to the end of the bed and he sort of because I was just screaming down the phone at my ex-husband, and I hadn't told him my husband what what was going on I was just saying not my baby boy he didn't know he didn't know if he'd been in a car crash or, or what had happened you know and um I just remember just running through the house to Georgia's bedroom because she was living with me and banging on a door because the door was locked I was just banging and banging and banging Georgia 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 and she came to the door and I just threw myself at her and I said Reese is dead straight away I didn't even break it to her nicely or you know as nice as I could I just threw myself at her and what was her reaction <sighs> disbelief she was just she was <sighs> I feel so bad because she was pregnant pregnant at the time and um it must have been awful for her you know because She's expecting this baby. She's all full of joy. You know, she just found out she's having a boy. And then suddenly she finds out that her brother's dead. Um, She was just screaming as well. So we were both just holding each other and crying. And um, then Lily, my she was nine at the time. She woke up and she said, what's happening, mum? What's, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I just blurted it out to her, which again, now I think, oh, why, why did I do that? She was nine years old, you know. You're in shock. And I just shouted, Reese is dead. And she was, she just suddenly started crying and screaming. And she was, she didn't know what to do with herself either. Um, I was kind of just like pacing because I didn't know what to do or what we're supposed to do. David was still sort of like on the line. He said... Um, there's going to be police come into your house. They're going to come and see you now. Because um, I didn't know at that time what had happened. It had been shot. It had been stabbed. It had, you know, what had happened? I didn't know. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here's a quick word from our sponsor. <coughs> know what that sound means? It's more sales being racked up on Shopify. What do you think of Shopify, Jen? I absolutely love Shopify. The all-in-one commerce platform to sell grow and make money for your business have you used it to boost your business 100 percent, yeah so shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell from anywhere in the world from creating your online shop in your own look 
to finding new customers to scaling your burning idea. You can do it all from one place. With no need for skills in design or coding. It's how every minute of every day a new seller makes their first sale with Shopify and you can join them. So what is your favourite UK-based business that's found success with Shopify? It's got to be Gymshark. They have grown massively thanks to Shopify. Now it's your turn to start selling today with Shopify for free. And thanks to 24-7 support, Shopify is there to help you every step of the way. Sign up for a free 14-day trial at shopify.co.uk slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Go to shopify.co.uk slash Sean right now to grow your business today. So that's shopify.co.uk forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. And... um and nor did he either. My ex-husband, he didn't know at that point. They hadn't told him. Um, I asked my ex-husband for his girlfriend's number. Um, and I rang her. She was at the hospital. She'd only just found out that Reese was dead um, because she'd been taken to hospital um, because she had a knife wound on her ear. Um, so she had to have all her ears stitched. Um because they'd attacked her as well. She was there in the in the flat. Um, I didn't know what had happened at this point. She said that there was banging on the door, like somebody was trying to kick the door in. Um, and she said the next thing she knew, it was dark. She couldn't see properly. Um, but there was just people in the room. She didn't even know how many. She couldn't tell. Um... And she said, she said it happened so quickly. Everybody was shouting, and the next thing she knew, Reese was on the floor, and they'd gone because they, uh, he was asleep. They were asleep. They, they was they were yeah. asleep. Yeah, it was um, just gone one o'clock in the morning. Um, they'd been to KFC, probably had had a smoke and gone to sleep. I think they'd been playing Xbox. The Xbox was still on, you know, just on the in on the on the screen. Um. They also had a friend staying over. He was asleep on the sofa. The lad whose flat it was, he was asleep in the bedroom. There was another lad staying over as well. <laughs> um, I think the lad who had the flat and the other lad, they'd gone off to the pub just before this had happened and then come back and it happened probably about an hour later. Um, the other three, so Reese, his girlfriend and their friend, they'd gone to KFC and come back, played a bit of Xbox, had a smoke, gone to sleep. Um, the lads had come back from the pub, they'd come into the living room, they were all asleep, Reese, Katie and, um, Lewis, and, uh, they got a phone charger, gone back into the other room, next thing they knew, the door was being kicked in, the lads who were in the other room, they thought, oh, it must be police, and pushed their drawers against their door, and barricaded it, so they couldn't get in. But they didn't go in that room. They went straight into the other room where Reese, his girlfriend, and their friend were. Um, and and his girlfriend said that it just happened so quick. She just said everybody was shouting and screaming. She got attacked, and the next thing she knew, Reese was on the floor, and they were gone. It literally happened within two and a half minutes. They were gone. So they obviously knew what they were going to do, and. They knew who they were targeting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I found out that the reason that they attacked him is because they thought that he was going to get drugs that night on the Thursday, which so happened to be the night he was coming to see me. So I think he was supposed to be doing the two. For some reason, he didn't get the drugs. He'd paid for the drugs, but he didn't get them. Um, And then he didn't come to see me. Um, He'd gone home and that's when they attacked him. He didn't have what they wanted. But I think in, in two and a half minutes, they must have had a plan in place that if he didn't have something that they wanted, then they were going to kill him. Um, because I don't see how in two and a half minutes they could come to the conclusion that, you know, I mean, even if they went in and said, you know, where's the drugs? And he said, I haven't got any. Surely they would have searched the place or, I mean, he wouldn't have said, oh, here you go, here's here's the drugs. They would have, you know, he, he would have put up a fight. You know, he wouldn't have just handed it over. No. So... um I think they must have had a plan in place to, you know, he hasn't got it, we'll kill him. They must have done. I don't see how in that short space of time it could have ended up the way it did, especially when you go in there with machetes, you know, Rambo knives and and things like that. I don't see how it could go any other way. You can't threaten somebody with a machete, you know, without using it really. You, you know, if that person sort of comes back at you and says, well, no, you're not having what I've got, then they're going to use it, aren't they? Um, so so um, the calls come in then. Um, what happens next? Then do the police come to you? Do you go to the hospital? Or? So I had a policeman come and see me. Um, I feel sorry for the guy because he didn't know anything. I literally sat there and I said, well, what's happened? He said, uh I don't actually know. I've just been sent. To, I've basically just been sent here. Um, I'll try and find out for you. And he couldn't really find anything out. So, because um, I, I was saying, has he been shot? Has he been stabbed? Um, Did you know at that point he'd been murdered? Um, yes. Yeah. That At that point, I knew he'd been murdered, but I didn't know how. Um it was only his girlfriend that said he'd been stabbed. It was his girlfriend who told me over the phone. She just kept saying, I'm really, really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. I think actually she was on the phone to me when the police were there, you know, when that policeman was there. It was all happening around the same time, you know. it. It's all a bit of a blur, really, of everything that happened that day. It was all... Do you think protecting her, he put himself at the front of the situation? I think so. I... Th- this is what frustrates me more than anything is I don't actually know what happened in there because they all said no comment. Um, I've never, I, unless one of them owns up or two of them or what have you, I'm never gonna, ever going to know the truth and I'm always going to have this jigsaw puzzle muddled up in my head of what happened to my boy and that hurts and angers me and really angers me. So did you um, go to the hospital or, or speak to the girlfriend again to get more details? Or? So I wasn't allowed to go to the hospital. Um, Reese wasn't at the hospital. Um, they said that he was at the flat and he died at the scene. Um, 
think the attack was at 20 past one in the morning. And I think by half past two, he'd passed away, you know. So that was so all he was st- alive for quite a long time. Um, I don't actually know if they were just working on him for that time and, you know, for quite a while trying to trying to save him or I don't actually know. This is again, I don't actually know um, how long it took for the ambulance to get there. I know that the police were there before the ambulance um, and they had a body cam on and I was warned that I may have to see the footage in court. Um, but luckily they didn't play it because that was a really difficult decision for me. Do I watch that and see the last moments of his life or do I just not watch it and then... Wonder. Wonder. Mm. I didn't know what to do. I was kind of debating. Um, So, yeah, the, the the police came and went. Um, I got a call from a family liaison officer at this point. Um, I think it was difficult for them because me and his dad were separated. So they had to go to him, then come to us. You know, every time they were delivering news or asking questions, it was always they were having to go to both of us in two different towns. So it's not like we was even near each other. Um, And he just said that they would be coming to me later that day, that Reese was still at the flat um and he would have to stay there for a while um because of crime scene yeah because of it being a crime crime scene yeah and i just remember thinking he's laying there and i just wanted to go and be with him but i wasn't allowed obviously um i don't know why i felt like i needed to be there because i wouldn't have been able to help him or do anything um but they yeah, they said he'd have to stay there. They said they'd come and see me later on that day because it was the early hours in the morning. And um, I remember trying to ring my brother, um, my youngest brother, Danny, because he was very, very close to Reese. Like, they were like brothers. He was only seven when Reese was born. So they grew up like brothers. Um, Danny came to live with me for a little while when he was a teenager because he was giving my mum a load of grief. <laughs> so she sent him to me to sort him out. And um, yeah, they shared a bedroom. They were they were really, really, really close. It was like I had another child, really, with my brother Danny. And um, yeah, he, I rang him and I couldn't get through. And I was pulling my hair out, literally, because I really wanted to talk to my brother out of everybody, because I know that he would have probably seen Reese the day before. Um, and I thought I might get some answers. So I sent Georgia to his house to wake him up because I couldn't get through to him. And he came straight away. Um, and I think that's the first time I've seen my brother cry, you know, as an adult, because he's one of these people who don't show their emotions at all. He's very straight and... um. He was absolutely devastated, but he said to me, I know who, the, who did this straight away. Um, so Danny smokes weed as well, has done for years and years. Again, he knows that I hate it and he doesn't care, you know, because he's just like me and whatever I, you know, if somebody tells me I can't do something, I'll just keep doing it. And I was kind of happy that 
Danny was looking out for Reese and vice versa. They were together a lot, you know. And uh, Danny used to go round to the flat. Uh, I've never, I never went to that flat. I didn't know where it was or who he was living with. I didn't know anything. Reese just kept me completely in the dark for everything. But Danny knew a lot. And he said, I know who did this and gave me names straight away. And I said, well, how do you know it's that person? He said, because he had been around that flat when, uh, so we'll give you an example. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my brother, my brother gave uh, a name straight away. And he said the reason for that name was that he was around that flat probably a week before. Um, my brother didn't like the look of him. He said there was just something about him and also that he had a reputation for stabbing. Um, and he'd not long come out of prison for stabbing somebody. And my brother is a pretty good judge of character. And he said to Reese, I don't like that person. Just watch yourself around him. You know, you can't trust him. Just be careful. And Reese was like, no, no, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. He's, you know, I, I know him, he's all right. Um, and then Reese was very naive and thought everybody loved him. And I don't think he thought anybody would do that to him. Um, so, so, yeah. Sounds like that individual was casing out. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what Danny said. He was checking the place out, you know, where Reese kept stuff and, and things like that. Um, so he gave me that name. And when. The uh, the family liaison officer came. Uh, my brother gave that name straight away and said, check this person out. You know, he's been around that flat. He's very dodgy. Um, he's got a reputation. Please just check that person. And I just remember sitting there thinking, there's no way they're going to catch these people. Um, you know, they came in, they were all hooded up and, you know, it was in the middle of the night. Nobody could see anything. Um, was there any outdoor camera footage or street camera footage yeah so we found out when we went to court uh, we didn't find this out till way later that the the corner shop actually caught them parking up getting out the car going into the block of flats um, and then coming back out again so they knew the time frame that they were there Um, and I suppose in between that they uh, figured out, you know, where their mobile phone signal was and things like that. So there was oh, loads and loads of evidence against them. The police were absolutely brilliant. They they caught them, um, you know, in different locations afterwards, walking. One of them actually, um, I found out, was stabbed there. They tried to say that it was Reese that did it. However, there was no knife there with Reese's prints on or... Reese was asleep. He was in a t-shirt and boxer shorts, you know. Um, you said there was another lad with him in that room. Yeah. What happened to him? This is another thing that makes me angry. Um, that lad was asleep on the sofa and said that he slept through it and he pulled mm. the covers over his head. I don't believe that for a second because there was a glass table in the living room and Reese crashed through that table and smashed it right next to him. 
And I don't believe for one second that he slept through it. That doesn't make sense. Um, so he didn't get harmed. He was fine. He was absolutely fine. Do you think he was in on it? No. No. I don't believe he was in on it um, because he didn't know the people that actually did it. And there was no um, text messages, you know, any, there was no evidence to suggest that he'd messaged any of them or anything like that. So. Um, he might have been playing dead, hoping that they scared, didn't see him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, uh, what's the expression? Flight or, no. Flight or flight. Yes. Yeah. I think it was that. And I think he just froze and he just didn't know what to do. Um, I know a million percent that if the tables were turned and it was Reese asleep on that sofa, Reese would have got up and helped him because that's the kind of person Reese is. And I'm angry because I think that if he got up and helped Reese, maybe they both, both might have got hurt, but maybe Reese might have lived as well. Um, and but we'll I guess we'll never know that. And did you speak to his girlfriend about that? Yeah, um, she was angry as well at the time, um, the same as me. I kind of had it in for this lad then, that was it. I mean, even to this day, I've not been able to speak to him out of everybody. I just, I mean, the other two lads in the other room, they thought it was police. They're on the other side of the door. They don't know what's going on on that other side. There, were, there was two minutes, you know, it's not a long time to to sort of think what's happening, what's happening, you know. By the time they'd come out, they'd gone, you know. Um, the one that was in the room, I just think, for me, it was unforgivable. Um, and I, I don't think I'll ever get over that. Um, however, Reese's dad, he's forgiven him. And Reese's brother, Josh, he's forgiven him. So... It makes me angry that they've done that. You know, I feel... I don't know if it's just me who, you know, I need somebody to blame. I don't know if it's my problem and everybody else is sort of getting over it. Not getting over it, but finding a way to come to terms with it. And I can't seem to do that at the moment. Um, what what else happened in the first 24 hours? Um. So... So the family liaison came, asked me absolutely loads of questions um, about, you know, what kind of person Reese was. And I was completely honest, you know, I didn't try and cover up anything. I told them everything that I knew as what I've told you um, wasn't a lot. You know, I was quite in the dark about a lot of stuff, but I did tell them everything that I did know. Um, I wasn't trying to hide anything from them because I just wanted the people caught who did this to him. Um, you know, and they, I, I just remember them saying to me that Reese was still on the floor and, you know, still there. And this was like in the late afternoon and it was really that more than anything was really upsetting me at that point because I was thinking, why is he still on the floor? He's going to be uncomfortable and, and stuff like that. And, um, but then they, he got a phone call and said, right, they're moving Reese. They're taking him to Leicester Royal Infirmary. Um, so they told me where he was going. Um, and then pretty much they left after that. You know, they said, you know, they're making inquiries and, 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 um, and I think it was the next day they actually arrested some people. 
Um, the, the family liaison officer, he was really, really good with us and kept us informed all the time. He was round all the time. Um, he was really, really good with us. And yeah, they arrested some people a couple of days later and they wouldn't tell his, who it was. They wasn't allowed to. Um, did you have a feeling who it was? I had a, I had a feeling it was the person that my brother said. So I don't think my brother would have said it was somebody, if it, you know, an innocent person. If it, if it, I think he knew deep down that some something it had something to do with him, and uh, yeah, it was just um, over the weekend there was nothing. It was just like right, your son has died, and kind of apart from the police popping in, I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, and, uh, it was the following day we, I rang his dad and I said, look, you know, Reese's car is in a lockup. Um, why don't we get his car? Let's get his car and get it back to my house and we'll get his car. We'll, we'll do what he wanted to do to it. He was in the middle of restoring it and it was just a bare shell. And I said, like, let's, let's do that, that, that was keep us keep us busy you know um and then we arranged like a memorial where we let off balloons at the skate park and we're just trying to keep ourselves busy at that point because the police couldn't tell us anything or we couldn't do anything we couldn't you know we couldn't see him at that point there was nothing we could do and we needed to do something because it was driving us absolutely mad so we went and got his car that came back to mine and that was kind of nice for me because I could just go and sit in the garage with his car it was just a bare shell but I felt like he loved his car and that's where he'd be maybe and I just could sit on the steps in my garage and just sit with his car and that was nice um and we did the memorial and then it got to the Monday and that was a significant day for me because I had to make the decision on whether I was going to go and see Reese. Uh, they said, do you want to, because his dad was going to go and see him. So either of us could have identified him. Um, and at first I was like, no, I'm not going to, I don't want to see him like that. You know, I just want to remember him how he is. But then I thought, well, if I don't go and see him, I'm always going to wonder. And his dad will have seen him and I wouldn't have seen him. And it was just going round in my head and I thought right I'm gonna have to do it I'm gonna have to just I'm gonna have to go and see him and say goodbye um so while we were there we was in the waiting room we'd gone over to Leicester Royal Infirmary and literally while I was in the waiting room the police said they'd had um they'd arrested more people the time had been extended you know that they could keep them in there so they can keep questioning them um so I had my hopes up then look this is getting you know serious now they've got four people at this point um and I was just I was just thinking right we're going to get justice now we're going to get justice um and I thought well they wouldn't have given them extra time if you know they didn't have reason to and that was just before we were going into Reese and it gave me a little bit of hope that we were going to get this justice and then we went in and I've never had to do anything like this you know I've never been to funerals or I think I've been to one funeral 
and um it was my granddad you know uh and um i went in and he was completely covered up apart from his face like up to here he had like a sheet over him and they said that we couldn't hold his hand or anything like that because he had all wounds on his slashes on his hands and his feet and we couldn't you know we couldn't it was evidence basically and we wasn't allowed to touch it and um so we just had his face and he looked I keep saying he looked poorly um he didn't look peaceful or anything like that he kind of um I don't know he just had like a little nick under his nose and he looked pale and poorly and like something was you could tell something was wrong obviously something was wrong because he wasn't alive but I can't even explain to you I still can see the the how he looked and he wasn't Reese and um I was scared to touch him but I sort of stroked his cheek and he was absolutely freezing cold and I just felt like I needed to cuddle him and I couldn't they wouldn't let me touch him I was just allowed to sort of touch his face I wasn't allowed to I said I had to be careful because he was evidence and um, we got about 10 minutes that's all we was allowed and it's kind of like you'd think that was like a personal time you want to be alone but you're not allowed you know not you know i suppose if he would have died of an illness or something like that i would have been allowed time alone with him to say my goodbyes but i wasn't allowed because they had to make sure i wasn't touching him so there was me my husband um my daughter my brother my other son josh he couldn't face it. He said he didn't want to see him like that. And then my youngest two, I didn't let them come. Um, my daughter really wanted to go, but I said, you can't go and see him. You can't see him like that. And uh, she was really upset, but I just couldn't let her. Um, so, yeah, we got about 10 minutes. It wasn't private. You know, it was horrible. It was really sort of, it's not like you get your chance to say goodbye properly no um and then that was it they sort of like time's up um and then we got asked the question outside if that was him um we said it was and then they asked us uh if they take parts they take bits like flesh and stuff what like a biopsy yeah Yeah. and they said what do they want us to do with the with it afterwards you know and i was like i don't know what do people normally do i don't know what what am i supposed to say to that yes give me a little bit of flesh back i don't i don't i just said they could dispose of it but i didn't know i was flustered because i didn't know what i was supposed to say what do people normally say in that situation what what decision was I supposed to make? You know, what was the right decision? Um, and then we went home and uh, uh, the early hours of the next morning, uh, I got, it was about two o'clock in the morning, 
I said to the family liaison, it doesn't matter what time it is, tell me when, if they get charged, I want to know straight away. And he rang me about two o'clock in the morning and he said they've been charged, four of them have been charged with murder and uh, conspiracy to rob. Um, And uh, I wouldn't say I felt relieved or anything, but I felt like there was a chance we might get justice um so i uh we went to sleep we went to bed we went to sleep well tried to sleep um actually i did sleep quite well um and i just think it was because i was just mentally and physically exhausted at the end of the day i just couldn't i just couldn't cope with it all and uh the following, uh, they said to me, oh, on the phone, you've got to be at court. Nine o'clock in the morning, you need to be at the magistrate's court because they've got to go to court in the morning. I said, okay. I met them there. Um, and, oh, God. We were put into this, this family room and I just remember sort of going in there and all these people like staring at us because we were a family going into this room. And at this point, we were then told the names and one of the names was the person who my brother said it was. My God. Um, one of the other names was somebody my brother had seen there as well. Um, the other two was unknown to my brother. He didn't know who they were. Um, so... We went in to the courtroom and it was just the magistrate's court. I was told that nothing's going to really happen. It'll base, They'll basically just say, you know, we can't see you here and you're going to have to go to Crown Court tomorrow. That's that's basically, but it's just, they said, you don't even have to come. I said, well, I've got to see who these people are who took Reese. Um, so bearing in mind, this was what, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It was four days after he died. Um, we're on the Tuesday morning. It's impressive how quick they got them. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it. I was expecting them to get away with it, whoever it was. You know, because you see in the news all the time these people who commit murders and literally get away with it. You know, there's, you know, Madeline McCann, for example, you know, the, nobody knows what happened to her. And I thought that was going to be with Reese. you know, the same. Nobody knew what had happened and nobody was going to, no um and i was really shocked that i was sitting in this courtroom um and they bought uh three of them out in one go and they were there right in front of me and uh i was shaking and i didn't know what to i uh, and you're not allowed to when you go into court I was warned that you've sort of like you've got to stay calm you can't shout at them you can't do anything you've got to stay calm and I was fine and then I sat there and then their family members were coming in and they were placed near us in seats literally meters away from me was my son's killer's family um and I didn't know what to do with myself you know I was just shaking and um so these three were basically told they've got to go to crown court the next day and they walked out they went did they look at you yeah, yeah. did the family members know who you were 
Um, none of them looked at me at this point. They none were of them all, knew you were. I think they probably did because I was the one shaking and crying in the corner, but they wouldn't look at me, you know. they At that point, I think they just didn't want to face me, you know, and vice versa. You know, I, I knew they were there and I kept looking and I just wanted to try and stay calm. Um, so we went out, we were taken back through the waiting, you know, the main waiting area back into this little family room. And then I was going to have to go back into the courtroom for the final person. Um, and I went back, I went back into the courtroom and this final person was there and there was people there for him. And... At this point, I think I just completely lost it. Um, when he'd been taken away, they said Crown Court tomorrow and take took him away. And I just remember still sitting there and everybody was looking at me and they were like, Charlotte, come on, we've got to go. And I just sat there and I didn't know what to do because I could feel myself raging inside. And we walked out the, to go through the main waiting room again. And I caught a glimpse of one of the people who were there, the supporters. And she looked at me and I just dived at her to attack her. I mean, this poor girl, I literally launched myself across this room at her. The family liaison officer got in the way, got in the middle. So I didn't actually touch her. And my husband literally picked me up um, and carried me into the waiting room. And I was screaming I mean the most I've ever screamed I was hitting myself I was punching myself I was I just went absolutely mental because I was so frustrated and angry and um was she a girlfriend of one of the perpetrators she was the best friend I didn't know at the time um I've since apologized to her for that she was only a young girl herself probably about 20 um but I think it's because the others didn't have eye contact with me. They sort of kept their heads down. But she actually got contact with my eyes and got the brunt of my anger. You know, the rage that was just built up inside me. I'd been in and out of the courtroom a couple of times and I was just shaking. I couldn't control it. Um, you know, I, I didn't get into any trouble, luckily, because I didn't actually hit her or push her or anything. But... Um, yeah, I was in that family room. People outside must have just thought, oh my God, you know, because I was just screaming and hitting. I was kicking the wall. I was kicking myself. I was, I was, I was literally going absolutely mental. Um, and then the next day we had to go through it all again in Crown Court. Um, were you surprised when you saw them by their age or anything like that? Not really. Do you know what? When I saw them, they looked really what I expected them to look like, you know? How old were they? Um, I think they ranged between 18, 19 and 22, I think, was the oldest by the time they'd been sentenced. So young. Yeah. I think the oldest at the time they'd done it is about 21. So they were young, yeah. And... <sighs> They just looked and dressed and everything, really. 
the way I expected them to. I mean, I was staring at them and they just didn't look at me. Did they look at you the next day? No. No. Um, I don't think we've mentioned how many times Reese was stabbed. So the family liaison had to come to us um, with the pathology report. Um, he said, you know, it's best that I tell you this rather than you hear it in court. And they said that he'd been stabbed. Uh, well, he had 22 knife-related injuries, so that can include slashes or or stab wounds. Um, but three of those were fatal. Um From what I gather, at one point, Reese was on his back on the floor and he got his arms and legs up in the air, his arms and uh, hands and feet, and they were slashing his hands and feet. They were slashed as well. Um, Because I wanted a... I know this for a fact because I wanted his handprints and they couldn't do it because of the wounds on his hands. Um, They... One of the guys, one of them who were there, who did it, he actually got a stab wound. And like I said before, they said tried to say it was Reese, but it wasn't. And it was proved that in court. Um, but because he, they, they came to the conclusion that in the frenzy, he'd been caught in the crossfire between one of him and the other gang members. And, uh, a Rambo knife or a machete had gone through his thigh and out the other side. Um, and he, when he left, they must have grabbed a towel or something like that in the flat. And when they left, they just left the towel with his blood on it on the railings outside with his DNA on. Um, you know, so he limped away and you could see that on the camera. He was bleeding in the car. He obviously couldn't go to the hospital. So by the time they had arrested him, he had to be airlifted to hospital and had to have an operation. So he nearly died himself. And I wish he would have died, you know, if I'm perfectly honest with you. I think he deserved to die. Um, But yeah, they tried to say that that was Reese who had done that. Um, Part of me wishes it was Reese that did it. I, I, you know, I like to think that he tried to fight for his life, you know, so that he could stay with us. Um, and knowing his personality and how sort of feisty he was, you know, <laughs> he never sort of, you know, took, it was really short. And I think he sort of had a little bit of little man syndrome, you know, he was sort of, you know, he, he was short, but he was really sort of feisty and, you know, he wouldn't let anybody push him around or anything like that, you know. A lot of people respected him for that. Um, I wouldn't say he'd go around being violent or anything like that, but he he did stick up for himself, you know. If somebody attacked him, he wouldn't just take it. He'd fight back. But then what do you do if you've got four people in front of you with weapons, you know, in the middle of the night and you're standing there in a T-shirt and boxer shorts? Mm. It's a different story, isn't it? So. 100%. Like I say, I don't know if he fought for or not, but I'd like to think that he did. I can imagine he did. Did they try to get bail? Um, from what I remember, I think the question was asked, but it wouldn't have. They wouldn't have got it. 
um, because it was a murder, a murder investigation. Um, and, yeah, it... I think when it went to Crown Court, they um, they didn't look at me. But again, the family members were there. Um, that night after court, um, I got a phone call saying that somebody else had been arrested and they were going to be at Magistrates Court the next day. Um, so I had to go to court again and see him um, and sort of go through it all again. Um, then we got phone calls saying he was having post-mortem. He was having a post-mortem. And then he had to have a second post-mortem. And I found out that it was because the prosecution obviously have one. And then the defence are entitled to one as well. So he was put through all that. And for me, I felt like it was like it was having an operation. And of course, mother's instinct, I wanted to be there and sort of to comfort him and stuff. But obviously I couldn't. And and that was it then. I, I, you know, I knew that I wasn't going to see him again or it was horrible. Um, a horrible, horrible, horrible feeling that he was there in that mortuary for all that time. And I wasn't allowed to see him or, or anything, you know. Did his girlfriend come and see you? Yeah, she did to begin with. Um, she came and saw us quite a bit. Um, she kept saying she was sorry. Um, For what? That she didn't save him, you know, that she felt sorry for him, for us, that we'd lost him. Um, did she get, try and give you any more details of what happened? Or was it so dark and so fast there was not much? I think she kept a lot from me. To this day, I think she's not told me everything because she thinks that it, it would be... You. Yeah. I've heard little bits and pieces from the lads who lived in the flat, you know, who were staying in the flat, not the one who was in the room, but the other two. Uh, but they could only tell me what they saw afterwards, you know, when they went into that room. Um, they said that Reese. They were having to... They said that Reese, they, oh, don't know how to say it, that he, parts of him were outside and they were trying to put it all back together, hold him together. Oh, um, That's the bits that they saw and they were trying to, they got towels and they were trying to, until the ambulance got there. And apparently that's what's on the body cam and that's why they didn't want to show me. So they only showed the body cam up to the moment they got to the fl front door of the flat. That was it. Then they cut it off. I would have had to leave the courtroom if they would have gone any further than that anyway. Of course. But they did warn me that they might have to play it. And that's what it would have shown. So when you ask the question, you know, did he live that long? I don't think he did. I think they were just trying to save him, but they couldn't. So did the prosecutor um, tell you, like, these guys, we're going to have to take them all to trial and there's going to be preparation for a trial and things like that? Yeah. Um, the family liaison, they give you a big book and sort of, you know, to prepare you for what's going to happen after murder or manslaughter, you know, you, and you just work through this book. And I never, to be honest, read it. Um, He was really good and he gave us loads of loads of information and 
sort of prepped us on what was going to happen and um there was loads of pre-trials you know you, you don't just go straight to trial it takes ages you know there's loads of things I have to wait for the evidence to be put in and then they have to wait for statements to be put in and um one of them had uh was diagnosed with ADHD so he had to have uh like somebody helping him in the courtroom so that all had to be arranged and it was just um I I at this at this point I befriended um another mum whose son had been murdered the year before Reese and um she was a real big help to me she talked me through the trial not from a family liaison's point of view but from a mum's point of view what to expect um what's going to happen um and the best way to conduct myself when I'm there from a mum's point of view you know because I'm going to see and hear so many things that are going to upset me but you're not allowed to show any emotion otherwise you'll be removed from the courtroom um because you don't want to be seen as influencing the jury and for me uh being in that courtroom and representing Reese from our family's point of view that's the last thing I could do for him you know the only thing I could do for him was be in that courtroom and conduct myself in a way that would come across as good to the judge and the jury and that's all I could do was your ex-husband in there with you? He was, yeah. yeah. Um, so every day we were only allowed, I think it was 10 seats, really small amount. Um, one side of the courtroom, there was us, literally metres away. There was all of them, all the family members. Before court, before we'd gone to court, I spent all my time, you know, I was saying I need to keep busy, I need to keep busy. Um once I'd released Reese's body, um, we could then arrange the funeral and that kept me busy. I needed to write lists and organise and that's what I was just doing constantly. Um, and when it got to court, I was organising who was going on what days. and I was writing lists for that. It was just a constant list, list, list for everything. And even to this day, that's what's kept me going is writing lists. Even if it's shopping lists, anything. As long as I'm organising something, I'm... It keeps my head in the right place. But um, yeah, it, uh, so before before court, I researched everybody who was going to be sitting opposite me in that court. Um, I went on Facebook. I, I was looking on everything, you know, to see if I could find out who all these people were and who they were there to support. And um, so I, I knew the names. I knew everything. Um, that probably sounds a bit psychotic but you had a courtroom uh, seating plan yeah 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 I had to in my head I needed to know who was there for who um so if I was outside and somebody was there I need to know who they were and you know it's um it's really <laughs> it's really weird when I say it back now you know mm. I'm thinking oh my god I sound absolutely ridiculous but at the time I thought that's what I needed to do were they respectful towards you no um so when it came to the main trial um the defendants themselves so there's five of them as I was telling you one of them was completely respectful didn't look at me sometimes he was there on video he wasn't actually allowed in the route in there with them because he was seen as a snitch 
he'd given names, he'd told everything that he knew, whereas the others hadn't, they'd, the other four had done no comment. Um, as much as he'd given the information though, it turns out he never actually went into the room, so four of them went in, he stayed outside watching, you know. Was like he the guy. driver? Yeah, he the was driver. the driver, yeah. Mm. Um, and so he was really, really respectful. And when they read out his transcript from when he was arrested, in his trans in the transcript, it just kept saying, you know, I'm re- I feel so bad for his mum. I'm really, really sorry for his mum. Just kept going on about me, you know, and how I was. Um, and I could just tell by the way he was conducting himself in court and the way his interview came across that he wasn't supposed to be there. He was, it was very out of character for him. You could just tell that he was well brought up, educated. What was going on in that? Yeah. 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 You could, that came across very. How, How would they entice him into that? Money. So it comes, uh, so it, uh, we were told that, um, in court that he was offered £2,000 to be the driver. Of the hypothetical stash that wasn't there. Yeah. <sighs> Apparently there was £30,000 uh, or 30000 worth of drugs and he was going to get £2,000 for driving them there, driving them back. He said he agreed to it because it was just easy money. Um, Did he say why they were going there? Yeah, he said to rob. Yeah, to yeah, rob so them. He, he knew that. that he knew that yeah. they were going to rob him. But that's all he thought it was, is just a robbery. Go in, get the drugs, come out. He got £2,000 for doing it. So he said he was greedy. That's what he said, for his reason for doing it. And when I think about it, Reese could probably have been talked into doing, you know, with the way he liked easy money. How easy would it have been for Reese to make that decision, you know, and being in that situation? And I think, if I was honest, I think he would have done it as well. Not if he knew they were going to murder the person, but to just go and rob somebody for £2,000, to drive somebody there and back, I think he would have done it as well, if I was honest. Maybe, yeah. Um, So, yeah, he was really respectful. Uh, The other four, I was stared at, I was smirked at especially at times where I was, you know, at times where they knew that I would be really upset, you know, when the machete was passed around the courtroom in front of me. Um, I was really shocked because I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't know that they had the murder because they're not allowed to tell me any of these details beforehand because it will jeopardise the case. Um, You know, at times like that where they knew I was going to be deeply affected by what was being said, I would look at them out of disgust and they would just smile at me like it was like it was a game or like it was they were proud of what they'd done and one one called me a fat bitch yeah yeah he mouthed it to me yeah Um, did you see that no Mm. um the family members they not all of them um, I would say out of the five families, two of them were re- really respectful. Uh, one of them was the driver's family and another one of the lads, his mum and dad were really respectful as well. Um, 
never spoke to me at the, the whole time, which is fine by me because I didn't really want them to speak to me. Um, but also they just kept their head down, didn't stare at me, look at, you know, anything at all. You know, it's like a, I didn't know they were there. The others, however, their friends and family, though, my brother got threatened to have his throat slit in the hallway. We were going out for a break. In the hallway? Yeah, outside, yeah. One of the friends, they said... uh he was walking behind, was he walking in front or behind my brother? I think it was behind and said something about slitting his throat. Yeah, so we obviously reported that. Um, Did anything happen to him? No, nothing happened to any of us. Um, it was just little things like we were in the car park about to go after one of the, you know, sessions and one of the brothers of one of them he drove past in his car and it had been raining and he soaked us with this massive puddle and so you could just see him laughing as he was doing it you know he did it on purpose it was just things like that little things to intimidate us or um you know uh the police had to escort us to our cars every evening but of course once we got to our cars off they go you know this happened after that um were they also trying to intimidate the family of the driver yes i was gonna say the family of the driver weren't there until the sen- uh till the convict you know till the um uh you know when the jury come in and give their verdict, verdict. that's the word yeah <laughs> um the verdict and the sentencing the rest of the time his family weren't there at all at all they didn't want to be in harm's way they didn't want to be in harm's way they didn't want to uh face me um they were ashamed about what he'd done um what was his family like? Um, so I met them after the verdict. His mum is lovely. Really, really lovely. To the point where I've been round to their house. Um, we've had lunch. We've got each other gifts. Um, I feel really bad for her. Um, it turned out that while he's been in prison, while he was on remand, she got a illness. And she didn't want him to see her ill and didn't want to worry him because he obviously had enough to worry about and didn't want to put that on top of him as well. So she avoided court for that reason as well as avoiding us. But when the verdict came out, she came to us and said she was so, so sorry. They were a very religious family. They'd all been praying for us in church. Um, How could I hate somebody like that? Um, and then I kept thinking to myself, you know, Reese could have made that decision. Um, and the more they spoke about him and showed me pictures of him and things like that, I could just see how the upbringing that he had, that it was so, it was not, it was not, he wasn't one of them. He was dragged into it and he was greedy, like he said he was. Um, and it could have easily have been anybody's kid doing that. During the trial, was anything revealed that surprised you? Um, I'd say the one of the main things is they said that they found pills um, in the flat. You know, when they searched this, searched the flat afterwards. The police found pills. Yeah, 
So I found out that Reese was supplying pills as well as weed. Like ecstasy um, or something. Yeah, some, I, I'm not really clued up on it all, so I think so. Um, but they found them, they said the colour of them, I can't remember, they were red or something. Um, and I thought it was just weed, so I was surprised that obviously he'd gone even deeper into what he was doing, and I didn't know that, so that was something that surprised me. Um yeah, and obviously the machete, because I had no idea. Um, I'd been warned about the, the amount of stab wounds, otherwise that would have obviously shocked me. Um, and just the the what shocked me is there was the amount of evidence that they had against these people. It what you could tell it wasn't very well planned. It wasn't. Um, one of them was wearing a fluorescent jacket and it was night time. So, of course, every CCTV camera showed him up like a like a light bulb. You know, it was who would do that? You know, if you know, he didn't think about what he was doing or um, they got caught on the CCTV really easily. So they obviously didn't check to see if there was CCTV there or, you know, it they kind of thought about it. All the text messages that were thrown backwards and forwards, um, we read them, you know, they were all read out in court. Everything. What were the messages? Saying to bring a shank. Um, one of them saying, one of them said, we're doing it tonight. The other one, one of the others saying, um, I, I don't you think we should just go and check check the place out first? And they were saying, no, 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 we're doing it tonight. That's it, you know. So one of them was trying to talk the other one out of just going and doing it that night. Um, I've also been told since that the only reason that the driver was doing it is because the one who organised it, his car was broken down. So then that's why he actually got dragged into it. Um, Did the perpetrators take the stand? Only one of them. Um, believe it or not, it wasn't the one who had spoken. He was told not to by his barrister, I was told. Uh, one of them stood up and our barrister, one of the barristers said, do you know who who killed Reese?" And he said, yes. And they said, okay, who, who did it? And he said, I can't say I'm not a snitch. Oh. And my barrister said... In all the years that he's been a barrister, he has never seen anybody mess up being on the stand as much as him. He said he would have been better off not going on the stand than standing up and saying that. Oh God, I've never heard anything like that. That's yeah. Mindless, I mean, completely mindless. And for me, it was really frustrating because he knows who killed Reese. It might have been him. I don't know. We don't know. This is what does my head in every single day is I don't know who did what. I've even reached out to his mum since and asked her if she can ask him now. He's convicted and in prison. He's got nothing to lose. You know, he's got nothing to lose. Just tell me who did what. You know, he's not snitched now if he just tells me. It doesn't matter, does it? They're all in there. Do you think he intended, the perpetrator, intended to kill Reese that night? They went into that apartment to kill him. He asked somebody to bring his shank. Now, why would he take a knife in there? To threaten him, maybe? Um, 
They were in there two minutes. I don't understand in that short amount of time how they could go from trying to rob somebody to actually... They literally butchered him in two minutes. You know, how how can they go from doing one to another? I don't understand. Um, Did did the prosecutor ascertain premeditation? Mm. From the text messages, yeah, they all got they all got convicted of conspiracy to rob. So for them, you know, with all the text messages and stuff that they had um as evidence, that gave them enough to go on to to say, well, this was all premeditated. Well, actually, that was to rob. For the murder, I don't actually know how they came to that conclusion. Um other than they went, I think it was because they all had the knives. Um, one, the the one that got up on the stand as well, he admitted that he had a knife, and he that he threw it away, as well. Why would you throw a knife away? He said that it was because he was worried if he got stopped by the police, but he walked there with a knife, but then he was worried and threw it away afterwards. So that knife still hasn't been recovered. Did they ascertain that it was the machete that caused the fatal wounds? Uh, there was a machete and a Rambo knife. The it, Rambo it, knife's never been recovered. Recovered. And do they know from the footage, could they see who was carrying those? No, they couldn't see. They mm. only know. So um, one of the... So the one that had got s- stabbed through the thigh and the one that organised it, they had gone to his house, the one who had organised it. They'd gone to his house and there they'd found a rucksack with the machete in and a BB gun. So they had a BB gun as well. Um, his girlfriend said that he, that she didn't know if that gun was real. It was dark and they didn't know if it was real or not. So she remembers seeing it? Yeah. Yeah. She remembers seeing a gun, but she didn't know at that point it was only a BB gun. You wouldn't. Were the perpetrators classified as gang members? Yes. Um, there's um, a couple of gangs in Northampton. I can't even remember what that gang name is now. Um, D-Block, oh. I think it was called, I think. Um, and they were all part of that. Reese wasn't in a gang. Um, he wasn't that kind of person, you know, he didn't dress like that, he didn't act like that. Um, he just liked a good life, you know, designer clothes, nice car, go out for meals, go on holidays. He just liked the good life. He wasn't into these rap videos and that they all make grime, is it grime? Grime videos and, um, you know, knives and, and things like that. He wasn't that kind of person. So they see them as an easy target. I think so, yeah. yeah. Because he wasn't in a gang or, you know, they wouldn't have had any repercussions because it was just Reese on his own with his friends. As the trial was unfolding, did you feel it was going in your favour? Um, I, for the six weeks, I was just watching the jury's face when they were getting all the information. Um. A lot of the time as well, the defendants who were in the the box, they were messing around, uh, laughing, joking, swinging about on their chairs. Um, And the jury saw all this. And every time they did that, I thought, yeah, just keep doing it. Keep doing it. 
because they're going to watch you do that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I did. I, when we went out, I was a hundred, no, I was 99% sure we were going to get, uh, guilty. Uh, there was that much evidence. They couldn't have, they couldn't have come to any conclu- other conclusion. And they were all blaming each other, saying it was each other. You know, they, they, you know, in their interviews, it was no comment, no comment, no comment. And the barristers, when they try and paint the picture of what's happened, they're all kind of edging towards it being one of the other people. You know, they... Um, to create uncertainty. Yeah. yeah, they were kind of, well, it couldn't have been my person because of this, but it could have been that person because of this. You know, they, it was, they were all trying to lead it towards each other. And because of that, they were convicted they, on joint enterprise. Wow. So what was their sentences? So the, so I'll explain why the first two got more than the rest. Um, that was because during um, the investigation, I found out I was called into a police interview, uh, like meeting, and I found out that the main two that organised it had actually they were actually on bail at the time of Reese's murder for other knife related incidents. They'd stabbed two other people. Uh, this was in the October before. So Reese died in February, February the 1st, and this was in the October. And it was explained to me that CID were investigating. Forensics was very slow. They don't have a lot of, I was explained that CID don't have a lot of money to, so everything takes a, takes a, a while to come back. And the main person, because he'd just come out of prison for stabbing somebody, he was then recalled to prison because he was on license for 28 days. So he had been recalled and then let out again. And the other one was just put on bail. Um, it was pending investigation. So waiting for all these DNA and I don't know, whatever to come back. Um, and in the meantime, they murdered Reese. And when they murdered Reese, obviously their, name, their names flagged up as being involved in these other incidents. Um, the major crime team then put their big pot of money into that investigation and lo and behold, they convicted them of these other stabbings. So they were then, because of that, convicted of that at the same time um, at court and the main person got 34 years and the other person got 31 years. Do you know if the other stabbings were fatal? No, they weren't. No. But it was gang-related. You know, they, they it was one of them was gang-related and the other one um, was just a random attack on somebody who was walking past him because uh, he looked at him the wrong way. He slashed him and he got life-changing injuries because of that. Oh, my God. So this person shouldn't have been out. He should have been in prison they let him out on license. He slashed somebody else. He then murdered somebody else. They should have recalled him right away. Yeah. Yeah. So these 30 plus year sentences then, did they have to serve that whole thing and then they get released or do they go up for parole? They go the f- up for parole then. So it's not necessarily guaranteed that they're going to get out. No. Mm. I've been told that normally they don't get out on the first time that they're up for parole. 
if I'm still alive then I'll do everything I can to keep them behind bars if not I'm going to leave my children strict instructions <laughs> on what they've got to do to keep them there um I hope I'm still alive you know because I want to be able to obviously fight for Reese still um but yeah they they're behind bars now the other two um who were in the room they got 28 years each the driver no, he got 14 years for manslaughter. Does he have to do all 14? No, he's out in seven. I actually, in the courtroom, so I'd spoken to his mum after the convic- uh, the verdict, and between verdict and sentencing, I spoke to my barrister and I explained to him that I... Um, no, I don't want him to get as much sentencing as I can. I can't even remember how I worded it, but I said, this guy, he could have been anybody, you know. He made a stupid, stupid choice. Um, anybody could have, you know, anybody greedy enough could have made. Um, and I said, I feel sorry for the family. I explained about his mum having the illness. And I said I wouldn't want that to come across to the judge that, I don't forgive him, but I understand mm. why he made that decision. Um, and he had two years knocked off for that. So um, he'll be serving five? No, he, he was supposed to get 16 years, but oh. he got 14. And then he served seven, and he's done three of those now. So Has he um, written to you or anything of any yeah, communication? Yeah, he has. He's gonna. Um, he's been doing anything he can in. In he's got jobs. He's been doing all the training courses. When he comes out, he wants to work with charities to stop things like this happening. To work against knife crime. To work against gang violence. Anything he can do to help, he wants to do it. Um, and I know that he will because that's the way he's been brought up. Um. But yeah, he has written to me. I've written to him. Um, and I wouldn't say I forgive him, but I do understand. I don't think Reese would be happy if I forgave him because <laughs> he's like me and holds a grudge. But um, I think he'd understand. Um, yeah. What was it like leaving court on the day of the sentencing hearing? How did you feel about the sentences? Were you happy with them? I was um I was in shock actually. I, I because I'd befriended people who mum other mums who you know children had been murdered. I had in my head their sort of sentences what they had. You know, I was thinking 18 because of their age as well. I was thinking 18, 20 years. That's what I had in my head, you know, I was, that's what I was expecting. When when they said thirty four, I never, I, I, I could have fainted. Honestly, it was way, way, way above what I was expecting. I was so happy, um, but so shocked. Really, really shocked. They're not light sentences. Are They're they? not light sentences. No. And this is a this is this wasn't a high profile case either. This was a, a you know in Northampton. It wasn't in the crowd. You know in the. London Old Bailey yeah yeah, yeah. that's the one <laughs> it wasn't there it was you know in little old Northampton and it wasn't a high profile case so I wasn't expecting to have such um long sentences given um were their family members shocked when they were handed down they all walked out crying uh shouting 
um, the the guys themselves were in there crying and shouting. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> I did take pleasure in that. Yeah. Um, I was expecting to feel relieved and like I'd got closure, but you don't feel like that at all. Nobody warns you for that, that you don't feel relieved. You know, you've... You just feel like, what happens now? You know, what can I do now? What what else can I do to hurt them? You know, because that was, it's like you've won a game. You know, you've won a game against them, but you've got to have another game and win again. You know, it's... Was there a bit of a weight lifted that it was over, the whole court process? No, because it kept me busy. Mm, focused. I had something to focus my mind on constantly, every single day. And as soon as that finished, what do I do now? What can I do? So did um, reality hit you then yeah, more? Yeah. And then when the, the when the trial finishes, everybody just trots off and leaves you to it. And then that's it. You're on your own then. Family liaison officer goes and um, all your friends, they haven't got things to talk about anymore. So off they go and friends. Um, those friends that were out at the time and now you never see. Um yeah, it's uh, it's harder, a lot harder at that point because you are literally hit with you on your own now. That's it. What was your support structure at that point? Then your husband and your family and other, other mothers that you were. Yeah, um, if I mean, I'm on grieving mums groups on Facebook and on um, groups where they've had the family member murdered. You know, the support groups for that. Um, so I've befriended quite a few people, a network of people in a similar situation to me. And um, there's people who are just starting that journey. And I've been, th- you know, an I'm certain way through now. And I like to help those people and support them, advise them on anything that, you know, they've got coming up like a trial or um, and just just comfort them to know that they're not alone and there are people out there who have been through what they've been through um and that's now why I'm starting to tell my story to people and what we've as a family because people don't see that you know they see what's happened on the news and it's oh no I feel sorry for his mum and then that's it you think about something else what you're having for dinner or what have you um nobody sees the aftermath of it all nobody sees um, me trying to comfort my children when they're crying. Um, nobody sees my young daughter self-harming because she can't handle what's happened to her brother or writing suicide notes because she wants to be with him or um, the trouble she gets in at school because people taunt her because her brother's dead and she really? has fights with them. Yeah. Oh, God. Stop crying about your dead brother and things like that. Um, because kids are cruel, you know, and they can say things like that because they don't, yeah, (laughs) you know, teenagers, they, um, they're, uh, they're horrible to each other and, you know, if they know it's going to get a reaction out of her, they will do it. Um, yeah, it's, it's awful that people don't see that. People don't see that side of things. No. How much of a struggle was it moving forward then? So... I lost my business because I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't want to go back. I just left it to run into the ground. I left my husband to deal with it. I left the staff to deal with it. 
And I know looking back, I'm so stupid, but I just couldn't, the pressure of running your own business is huge. And I couldn't handle that and the pressure of what was going on in my life. I couldn't handle both. It would have finished me off. And I knew that and I just couldn't. I just buried my head in the sand and then I just ran it into the ground. And then we went into liquidation. We just, I couldn't do it anymore. And there I had a weight lifted because I didn't have that part of my life weighing me down anymore. You know, it was like, that's gone. I've just got this now to focus on. Um, and uh, going so as a result of that, we lost our house because we were renting quite an expensive house at the time. We couldn't afford it anymore. Um, so we lost that house and we're now in social housing, you know, which was a massive shock to the system. You know, I was going on holidays all the time. We had money and big house. Now we're in a small house and now we have to watch what we spend. And it's um, a big culture shock. But I... Um, but I don't have that worry anymore, you know. I, I haven't got that over my head. So I think I had to do it for my own sanity. Um, because at times I've been suicidal. I've, um, I can't think rationally. You know, my moods, I'm like a roller coaster. You know, I can be, I can be, I can put my mask on every day and smile. And you saw it earlier, you know. Yeah. How can this bubbly, you know, loud, bubbly person have lost a son, you know, because it's a mask and I can wear it well. But there's sometimes where I'm too exhausted to wear the mask. And when that mask slips, my poor husband, my children, all the people around me, friends, they have to deal with me. And it's not nice because um, when I get into that state, I won't get out of bed. I... I don't want to do anything, go anywhere, speak to anybody, or I'll do the opposite. I'll get in the car and drive and nobody will see or hear from me. And then they're all obviously worried where I've gone and I'll just disappear. Um, so yeah, right, I do one or the other really. Um, and then I, I, I sort of level out again and then I'll be okay for a while keep my mask on and then it goes again you know so I feel sorry for my family because they have to deal with that Charlotte what do you say to young people who are watching this who might be involved in knife crime I think people who are involved in knife crime don't think of the ripple effect of what they do you know they carry a knife maybe for protection but statistics show that a lot of people who carry knives for protection end up either getting murdered themselves or they use that knife because they pull it out and then they can't put it away they're going to have to either use it or end up dead themselves you know so um they've got to uh they either have to use this knife themselves or maybe end up dead so they're put in the situation where you know use it or or lose your life um, is it worth it? Is it worth their mum losing them? Because let's face it, they're going to end up in prison for a very long time. They're going to take somebody's life away from their mum, their brothers, sisters, you know, uncles, aunties. Is it worth it, really? No. There's got to be other ways to 
um, deal with these problems? You know, what did they do before everybody started running around with knives, you know? It's um, it's not worth it at all. Definitely not. And how can people reach out and support well, you? We'll, we'll include all your links. Well, what did you say? She, uh, Charlotte was at a talk yesterday, mm. uh, raising awareness for knife crime. I was, Is that yeah. something you focus on now? Yeah. Um, I was working with a, a charity called Off the Streets yesterday. Um, I did a, my first public speaking, um, talking about what's happened to us as a family, how it's affected us, how I feel, you know, inside and um i stood up on stage and did this and got loads of support off mm. people you know and i didn't think anybody had stunned you know stop and listen to me to be honest but they did and um i'm going to be working with them hopefully in the future going into schools and talking to kids about what happens and hopefully make them think twice about using a knife um in the future, I hopefully want to start a charity. Um, I've been thinking about what I can do because there's quite a few charities out there um, for, you know, started by parents of, of their children that have been murdered. Um, and I'd like to raise money to have a retreat for um, families that have been murdered or uh, have got murder or manslaughter in the family so they can just go to this retreat and spend time together uh come to terms with or try to come to terms with what's happened and be together um and spend time together uh yeah so that's what i want to do reese's retreat oh that's wicked <laughs> hopefully <laughs> um, but i'm just trying to get myself strong enough to be able to to be in a position to do it you know um of three years it's been and just now I seem to be finding my voice and I seem to be getting this strength which I think I'm getting mm. from Reese, <laughs> and he's making me do this now he's like come on mum you've had enough time he's kicking me up the ass and making me make a difference and I want to keep his name alive um so uh yeah Reese's retreat I think that's going to be my my calling <laughs> And what was the feedback and responses like from the Paul Stansby podcast? Shout out to Paul. Oh, big shout out to Paul. Paul is absolutely amazing. He's brilliant, isn't he? I lit I was in a room with him for must have been five minutes and I was in tears mm. because he actually understood every word I was saying. Um he sees his mum in my position and uh, he made me actually realise how my children are seeing me and that's a shell of a mum that I used to be and I'm trying to be a good mum but I know it's really difficult. It, it's difficult for them. They don't like to cry around me and, and things like that and I try not to cry around them. But um, but yeah, Paul made me realise a few things actually and it was really therapeutic to have that podcast with him. <laughs> Um, and I'm going to be doing some more stuff with him in the future. Great. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. So what socials are you on then for people to contact you? Um, I'm just on Facebook, Charlotte Marshall. Okay. Um, if there's any mums out there who are in my situation and they need support, my inbox is open. They can contact me. Um, 
until Reese's charity is set up and then obviously we'll have a website etc so um, at the moment it's it's uh, Charlotte Marshall on uh, Facebook and my profile picture is a picture of me and Reese. What a powerful story then so please you know if you want to reach out to Charlotte the link will be in the description box below this video let us know in the comments what you thought about this and you know for the young people out there watching this the gang lifestyle is so glamorized and they, they show, you know, the music videos, the celebrity addicts, the movies. And it's like a hook tempting young people in. I fell in, you know, fell for that myself. And, but that road of being in that drugs lifestyle is a very long one. It may start with fun and glitz and glamour and you think you're the man or whatever. But down that road are many, many dangers that you don't see coming at you. And when you're on that road, it's very hard to get off it. And you, you, you tend to get deeper and deeper into it. Your drug use increases. Your drug dealing increases. And ultimately, there's going to be a huge price. Like Charlotte said, it's going to end up in the prison at the very least. It could end up in your death at the very most. It could end up in the death of another person. And look at how powerful Charlotte's testimony has been today. How brave she is to speak out, to have her heart broken because of all of this mindless, completely mindless behavior by people who are like teenagers in their 20s, not even thinking about the consequences. It just blows my mind. If you're carrying around a machete and you're going into someone's house in the dark, you better be ready to serve the rest of your life in prison because anything could happen. You could kill someone, you could kill multiple people, you could get killed yourself. It's not a game. It's almost like these kids are like video game age and they think, they think they're, they're playing a game. It's not a game. Because when you're stuck in a prison for decades reflecting on what you have done, you're going to be thinking to yourself, how stupid was I to go and do that thing? But you've got you to gotta get ahead of this game and start thinking about it now before the shit goes down. So I urge young people who are watching this, who have been moved by Charlotte's testimony as we have been moved here today, to think about the consequences of what can come at you down that very long road of drug use and drug dealing and the drugs lifestyle. So I know we have a lot of stories on the channel of people who have been in prison and what they've done. And we, you know, we get to view it from that, that side and the people we have on this channel have, have, have amended their ways and they're doing good in society now. So it's, I think, even more important to have people like Charlotte on so you can hear what happens when a crime like this is committed and how it, 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 it breaks a mum's heart and, and devastates an entire family. And it's something that people have got to think about as a serious consequence. So again, you know, much love and respect to everyone watching this. Please let us know in the comments what you have thought. And if you would like to get us, you know, to interview more people who are in uh, situations like Charlotte. All right. Much love and respect. Cheers. Thank All right. You. Give us a hug. <laughs> oh, wow. Good grief. Mind oh. blowing. Oh. Oh. oh, how are you? Oh, all right. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, well done. Oh, well, done. well done. That was brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. That was about this podcast is sponsored by Gadfly Press. 
We're proud to announce the publication of Scotland's Johnny Boy, The Bird That Never Flew. From the back cover, all his life, Johnny Boy Steele has been running, first from an abusive father, then from the rigours of an approved school and a young offender's jail, and finally, from the harshness of adult prison. This book details how the Steele brothers staged the most daring breakout that Glasgow's Barlini prison had ever seen, and recounts what happened when their younger brother Joseph was falsely accused of the greatest mass murder in Scottish legal history. We're talking the ice cream wars there. If Johnny Boy had wings, he would have flown to help his family, but he would have to wait for freedom to use his expertise to publicise young Joe's miscarriage of justice. This is a compelling, often shocking, and uncompromisingly honest account of how the human spirit can survive against almost crushing odds. It is a story of family love, friendship, and, ultimately, a desire for justice. So, Scotland's Johnny Boy, The Bird That Never Flew, is available worldwide on Amazon. Link in the description box below this video. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. Cheers.